Rewind, your week in review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate. This program is brought to you from Wisconsinized Margaret Farrow Studio. This week on Rewind, your week in review. Bail reform reaches its final hurdle in the legislature to be placed on the April ballot. We discuss how Republicans are resorting to similar measures in hopes to avoid vetoes from Governor Evers. Plus, we discuss which state Supreme Court candidate has raised the most money and how soon we could start seeing ads. And a former state senator was tapped to lead the state's parole commission. All this and more on Rewind, your week in review for January 20th. Hi, I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. J.R., lawmakers were back in the Capitol this week for their first session days. The Senate was in on Tuesday and the Assembly was in on Thursday. And Tuesday kicked off with Governor Tony Evers, in a sense, getting ahead of Republicans' action on the floor in the Senate, which he was trying to change the message about welfare eligibility to the state's criminal abortion ban. So here's what happened. Governor Evers held a press conference saying that, hey, I know you guys are going to be taking up this resolution, uh, which would create an advisory referendum um, that would be non-binding. I mean, it wouldn't have any impact, but it would ask voters whether able-bodied, childless adults should be able to search for work while they receive benefits or in order to get those benefits. So Evers said, hey, instead of voting on that, why don't you take up my advisory referendum, which would instead ask voters to repeal the 1849 criminal abortion ban. No surprise, Republicans swiftly rejected that on the floor on Tuesday. And Evers, during his press conference, kind of blamed Republicans for trying to make this whole thing political because of why this advisory referendum wouldn't really do anything besides, you know, gin up Republicans Uh, and their base heading into uh, the uh, February primary and the April general uh, for the state Supreme Court race. So first, let's hear hear from Governor Evers himself kind of talking about the politics behind this and uh, top Republicans defending why they brought this up, which is because they believe they wanted to put the spotlight on workforce issues. Our attempt with the uh, the substitute here is to once again, tell the people, give the people of Wisconsin the chance to talk about uh, talk about their belief about abortion and to advise the legislature. The present uh, referendum that is going to be respond, or the Republicans have laid out, is about a bill about something that already exists. It's advising something that already exists. So I think, uh, yeah, I think theirs is frankly ridiculous, I think it will work against them. Uh, when people see that the only, only thing they're doing here is to try to influence the Supreme Court race, uh, I think that's going to irritate some folks. Last session, Governor Evers made a decision to veto uh, several bills that we think would have helped to get more people into the workforce. So this is not just a way for us to make sure that he knows that the bills that he vetoed uh, are going to come back, and we hope that they have popular support. But it's also sending a message to the federal government. I think Governor Evers has taken a fairly extreme position. He doesn't want to work with us. There is much higher support among the public for adding rape, incest, and life of the mother exceptions than there is for going back to the the pre-Dobbs decision. I I don't think having a referendum, because he's already been so stark in his comments, would have any impact on changing his mind, which is why we have to try to focus on seeing if there's a common sense middle ground in the legislature. 
So it's important to note about this advisory referendum Republicans passed in both chambers this week is that there are already state laws on the books that Republicans passed years ago that required unemployed individuals to meet certain criteria, like searching for work in order to get benefits, same thing if you want to receive food stamps, Um, but there isn't currently laws in place for those who are on Medicaid. So Republicans then kind of changed the conversation saying maybe that's something we're going to look at down the road, making Medicaid recipients to have to look for jobs uh, to get those uh, benefits. But we would see a veto by Governor T- Go- Governor Tony Evers uh, on that likely. So let's just get back to the politics mm-hmm. of this, JR. I mean, you know, this is going to be on the April ballot, whether it has an impact or not. I guess, what are you hearing from people? Will it really gin up their base? Uh, people are pretty skeptical because Republicans have watched Democrats use referendums to drive turnout in various issues over the years and said, we need to do something like that. Uh, a popular one has been like marijuana legislation, for example. Uh, we've seen that kind of like even be credited with helping Tony Evers in 2018. The issue, though, is groups that put those, those references on local ballots have a constituency sometimes who don't turn out normally, and they communicate to them to turn out because of this issue. Now, I don't want to stereotype pot users, but some are not very active politically because they see both parties not really addressing their concerns. You have Having that issue on the ballot gives them a reason to turn out. The question is, what group is going to spend money to promote a referendum on able-bodied childless adults seeking work rather than put that money in the Supreme Court race? People don't see it when I talk to them. Now, you could ask the question, why not do a more of a hot-button topic like critical race theory? Andre Jacques uh, has introduced two resolutions or for referendums. One that basically bans critical race theory in schools. Another about people who commit offenses while they're on bail being returned to prison. I asked, why not do one of those? Talking to my sources, they said, look, uh, that is a double-edged sword. You could, yes, motivate the base, Republican base, also motivate Democrats. Um, Republicans learned that lesson in 2006. There was a push back then to put a gay marriage referendum on the ballot, a constitutional amendment. And it passed 60-40 to ban gay marriage in Wisconsin. However, that amendment also drew out college kids who weren't likely to vote otherwise and led to a number of Republican lawmakers at campuses in their districts losing, surprisingly. Uh, They weren't expecting that to happen. So they know that you can have a turnout uh, problem if you jazz up the other side. So in talking to folks, their thought is this is probably going to have a huge impact. But for Republican lawmakers, they say, we tried. And that's the thing. There is this kind of this pessimism among Republicans I talked to you about the spring election, whether it's the hangover from November, um, questions about the state party, if it can raise money the way the Democrats can, or just that the abortion issue has not been solved by Republicans. There's a little bit of a pessimism about this spring. So they're trying to find out what can we do to help our side come April. This is at least to say, hey, we tried something, even though it may be out of their control because these other factors out there as mentioned. It's just, in a sense, a new strategy. They're mm-hmm. trying to see how it works and test it out. Um, now, we do know what is going to be on the ballot as well with that welfare referendum is the issue of bail. Uh, It finally reached its final hurdle. It's been nearly a year uh, in this entire process after the bail constitutional amendment passed last February. So it was approved by both chambers, which would allow judges to consider more factors when setting bail. Now, 
it got bipartisan support the two consecutive sessions that it passed, but some Democrats still were hesitant and voted against it because they believe it could lead to judges setting higher bail amounts because they can consider the totality of a certain case, such as how violent someone uh, might have been in their past criminal uh, history or um, you know whether the individual poses a risk to the community. So let's just first hear from a co-author, Senator Van Wangard, defending his proposal and Representative Evan Goyke from Milwaukee, who comes from uh, working in the criminal justice system. And he says, you know, I just don't think I can support that for X, Y, and Z reasons. So let's take a listen. The proposal is about one thing, fixing Wisconsin's broken bail system. Anyone taking an honest look at Wisconsin's bail system knows that Wisconsin's system is broken and it needs to be fixed. Nothing in this proposal raises cash bail for any single person or crime. We're giving judges the ability to look at the whole picture when setting bail for violent crimes. Public safety, criminal history, preventing intimidation of witnesses, and the likelihood someone will return to court. Not everything under the sun. I believe this amendment will likely result in some cases having cash bail higher. And in some of those cases, I think those defendants will not be able to post their bail and they will be held in custody pretrial. If you think that this AJR will result in all of the dangerous bad guys staying in custody pretrial, you're wrong. Because built into it is a path to buy your way out of jail. There's a dollar amount on every case, and those that have access to resources will buy their way out of jail. So the main difference between the bail constitutional amendment and the welfare eligibility question is that the bail amendment, if approved by voters, will amend Mm -hmm. the state constitution. So with that, politics could be a little bit different with this issue, Jr. because one candidate in the state Supreme Court race, Jennifer Duro, she was the judge that presided over the Waukesha incident, which is really um, which is really how this whole thing got through the legislature in the first place. So it could, in a sense, help her image. Yeah, I mean, Van Wangard uh, was right in saying that this whole effort wasn't sparked by the spring Supreme election. They've been working on it for seven years. Mm-hmm. They weren't thinking about the 2023 Supreme Court race seven years ago. It could, though, maybe play a role in this spring. Again, Will anybody put money behind it to try and promote it? People I talk to on both sides of the aisle expect these, both of these things to pass overwhelmingly. All right? If Doro gets to the primary, it kind of complements her message about bail because of the Daryl Brooks trial. Best case for Republicans possibly is it's part of the conversation last month of the elections about these two issues because they're good for Republicans. I just don't see either of them really overwhelmingly driving the turnout for the spring election versus the millions and millions and millions that we spent by the campaigns and people supporting the campaigns for Supreme Court. And speaking of the state Supreme Court race, we have some latest fundraising numbers from the reporting period of last June up until December of 2022. And Janet Protasewicz is defying uh, everyone in this race. I mean, she has raised the most out of all of her three rivals combined, and she has been the most outspoken on certain issues. So that could maybe be the reason behind it. Of course, you have a lot of people working for you and trying to raise money because she's talked uh, very clearly about her stance on certain issues when it comes to abortion and redistricting. So let's talk about the liberal lane first. Uh, Pro Sewitz, $924,000 overall in 2022. That is a record amount raised by a campus Supreme Court the year before an election. It tops what uh, Shirley Abramson raised in 2008 when she was the Chief Justice 
running for re-election to another 10-year term. So looking at those reports, you are seeing the Democratic establishment coalesce behind Prusaywitz. For Mitchell, uh, there's a problem here. When we talk about the stories uh, that have been written about his divorce proceedings, where there was a custody battle, his wife alleged that she took a sleeping pill, he undressed her and had sex with her without her consent. That story's not going to be in paid media most likely now in the election. It does, though, give donors pause of can I give to Mitchell knowing that's out there because it can be used in the election if he makes it to the April ballot. That's a real impediment for him to catch up to Protosewicz because she is clearly in the lead. You look through a finance report, uh, Linda Uline, who's a longtime Dem donor, 20000 bucks. Um, saw donations from uh, AFT and operating engineers. Like You're seeing Democrats coalesce around her campaign, and this report only reestablishes or re- reconfirms she's the strongest candidate for the liberals to try and retake control of the court. On the conservative side, you got to look at the time frames. So Mitchell and Prose, which were the only ones in for the full six-month period. Doro got in the last month of the period. So her 300K over a month is a pretty good number for a first-time candidate. Kelly, you know, tops her, but he got in in mid-September. He also has been running, in effect, for a long time. We knew he was going to run. He's been talking about this for a while. Um, he had three and a half months. Oh, and by the way, until she got in, he was the only choice for conservative donors. So it underscores that she has some momentum over him. Now, the question, though, is who's going to help from the outside? Because while nice number for everybody, you know, except for Everett, uh, the two conservatives don't have enough money right now to do a solid, sustained, paid media campaign ahead of the election. Who's going to jump in from the outside? We've talked about the Dick Uline Group, Fair Courts America. We're going to spend millions of dollars to help Dan Kelly. Okay, when's that going to start? Are they really going to do it for the primary? Are they going to promote Kelly or tear down Doral? That Those are the big questions we don't know yet. Now, we still have another, what, five weeks, four and a half weeks until the primary. There's t- they've been raising money since January 1st. Maybe. They've accumulated the funds necessary to have that paid media campaign. But without it, you're talking about name ID for Doro off of a trial that was really big in Milwaukee, and Kelly from being a fast Supreme Court candidate. Is that enough to get you through? Talk radio in Milwaukee is still a big deal. It's not as big as it used to be, um, so I'm not sure they can drive the conservative turnout, but it's something to watch how they get on the air and what they do with their time on the air if they can get there. And likely we see a lot of advertisements coming out the last, you know, a week or two weeks mm-hmm. out from an election. You know, maybe people are still um, not paying as close of attention, but that's when people start honing into of, you know, who yes. should I vote for? Then they start searching certain candidates because it's not a presidential year. Yeah. It's not a midterm year. So there's just not as uh, voters really in tune with it quite yet. But that's what we can expect mm-hmm. uh, in the week's inching closer to the February primary. Um, Also this week is a story that kind of unfolded two weeks ago, I should say, in regards to um, Republican Commissioner on the State Elections Commission, Bob Spindell. So Senate Democrats joined voting advocacy groups that have been calling for weeks, I would say about two weeks, for Spindell to uh, resign. And they renewed those calls again this week because they want Senate Majority Leader Devin Lemahue, who appointed Spindell to the commission, to remove him. Um, Now, this all falls over Spindell sending an email to supporters touting low minority terms out in Milwaukee. So Democrats held this press conference. They were frustrated that nothing has happened. But 
One thing that we haven't heard from is Lemahieu himself. Mm-hmm. I know uh, on Tuesday after uh, session, we there was a reporter that tried to ask him about that. He walked away. I saw him later in the hallway, tried to ask him about it again. Um, so we're not really hearing from him. But this is not the first time Spindell has made controversial comments. And he it's not the first time people have um, asked for him to step down. And it's likely that he's not going to go anywhere. No, uh, Republicans put him on the commission to be a fly in the ointment. They wanted a partisan advocate to push their position on things, let's be honest, of the six members of the commission, four are really, really partisan, two are pretty partisan, those are the two clerks. Um, they want Spindell to do that. Now, they like Spindell to keep his mouth shut about stuff sometimes and not say things like this, but they're not going anywhere because they want him to be a fierce advocate for the GOP point of view, and we're not seeing Republicans call, join the call for him to step down or be pushed aside. All right, and let's move on to the issue of abortion. This was more of a procedural mm-hmm. move uh, with an update on the ongoing lawsuit that's been going on for quite some time now with Attorney General uh, challenging the 1849 criminal abortion ban. So call this week asked a Dane County judge to not dismiss the lawsuit, to keep it in the lower courts. And this comes after the three defendants filed motions to dismiss the case, which we all know is, is very likely this is going to mm-hmm. land before justices on the state Supreme court. So this was just kind of a procedural thing that we just wanted to let people know kind of this is the latest update yeah, on the case. It's basically about standing. The Sheboygan County DA is arguing that um, Call does not have standing to challenge the law because he's not impacted by it. If it remains in place, he faces no penalty. Call is saying, no, I, I'm the Attorney General. I have, the, I have this option to challenge this law that is within my purview. Also, the doctors who are challenging it, they, he challenged the Sheboygan County DA, their standing call saying, no, we have the authority, we have the the standing in court challenges. That's all it basically is about. All right. And now we're going to update our viewers about news that dropped late uh, Friday um, after we taped the show is that Governor Evers appointed a new uh, chairman to lead the state's parole commission. And it's a familiar face. It's mm-hmm. uh, former state Senator John Erpenbach. Uh, we got a statement from him last uh, Friday that said the success of the commission depends on our ability to balance the law and public safety while supporting victims, survivors and their families. If that's balance and thoughtful approach, I intend to, or excuse me, that is the balance, thoughtful approach that he intends to take as chair. So this comes after the issue of parole really um, was a contentious issue uh, that Republicans tried to use against Governor Evers during the midterms, saying that he was releasing violent offenders back into communities. There was multiple reports from Wisconsin Right Now, a conservative uh, blog that tried to highlight these issues. Tim Michaels made it a big part of his campaign. Um, So... They're trying to just take a new direction with this after they fired the last parole commissioner um, over a case for him rescinding someone's parole that got contentious because he only served half his sentence for a brutal crime. Um, so this is kind of, I guess, just Erpenbach um, uh, uh, trying to, you know, come over that, have a new vision uh, for the office going forward. Uh, talking to Dems Republicans this week, they call us a smart pick by the governor uh, for a couple reasons. One, Erpenbach is a partisan. But he's been around for a long time. He was in the Senate for 24 years, I believe. Um, he knows Republicans. They've worked with him. They've argued with him on the floor. They also have talked to him off the floor, worked with him on things. He's a familiar figure to them. The Senate GOP has the power to confirm or reject an appointment. So John Tate II, he referred, who was pushed out by Evers basically over that original case. Christopher Blythe came out of retirement to basically temporarily fill the role. He wasn't winning any friends in the Senate Republican Caucus. Van Wongard. Chair of the Judiciary last fall was basically calling to kind of 
he wanted to basically to go after him right away in the fall. It wasn't happened just yet, but his argument was Blythe was not paying attention to Marcy's Law, which is the amendment of the Constitution that guarantees victims certain rights. Among those is the right to be heard. And Wangard felt like Blythe wasn't allowing victims to be heard during these parole hearings. Erpenbach gets the politics, right? He understands uh, that also, too, the politics of who is released. Remember, we have truth in sentencing in Wisconsin. Now it's been in place for 24, 25 years. It says, you served, you're sentenced to 20 years, you're going to serve 20 years. Most of these cases are from before that, where they knew, judges, you weren't going to serve 80 years. But if I gave you 80, you might get 25 or 40, right? That's where we're getting these kind of like controversial cases. Erpenbach gets the, the perception politically of somebody getting out who did something really, really horrible. He will be fair, people tell me, but I also know some people maybe not, don't deserve to get out of prison because of what they did. So there's that. Also, benefit for Erpenbach. Um, his salary is $105,000 as parole commission chair. Doesn't quite double his salary as a lawmaker, but there's this formula for state employees, including public officials and lawmakers, that your top three grossing years are part of the formula for your pension. He's going to see, if he sticks around for three years, big boost to his pension for John. Not that's why he took it, but right, right, right. it's a personal benefit. And again, Smart pick by the governor because this is a guy who gets it and can help with the politics of what is a difficult situation often. Right, and he's had a lot of powerful uh, committees that he's been on, especially joint finance, So, and he's been there for many, many years. Uh, so he knows the building yes. and knows the politics of Wisconsin. Um, all right, and now we're going to tease uh, what's happening next week, which is the State of State Address by Governor Tony Evers. It will be happening on Tuesday at 7 p.m., and coverage here on WizEye will begin at 6.30 p.m. So this is, once again, another, I guess, teaser <laughs> speech from Governor Governor Tony Evers, of where he'll kind of highlight some aspects of what he'll be putting in his state budget. So some themes that we could likely hear is uh, Medicaid expansion, which he also kind of talked a little bit about during his inauguration speech. Um, Maybe we'll hear the issue of abortion come up and a lot of uh, medical marijuana. I mean, things that he almost puts in his budget each year that get rejected by Republicans, but Mm -hmm. it does make those headlines for a little bit to give him some credit to that. But we know um, Republicans have long rejected many of those items that he talks about in these speeches. Almost every governor I've covered has used his state of state address in the odd-numbered year as a kind of a preview of the budget. Mm-hmm. Maybe throw out a couple of bones about what he's going to introduce You know, a month later. Evers' budget comes out February 15th, so expect the same. Uh, a little bit of victory lap about how great things are going because of you know, how wonderful governor he is. And, you know, that's what he's going to argue. That's every governor argues how great they're doing. Uh, a little bit of a victory lap from Evers and the preview of the uh, budget that's going to be coming up in a month later. And, you know, even during his inauguration speech, he always tries to take the tone of we can do this as long as we're working together. Let's find compromise. We've been hearing that a lot, even from uh, Speaker Voss saying, you know, let's not pass all these constitutional amendments. We don't have to. Let's all hold hands. Let's sing songs yes. by the campfire. But uh, I think many people know about the politics uh, here that uh, they often do not get to A-long. So. Yes, Evers, let's compromise the things I'm right about. Right, <laughs> right, right. Um, um, I, I did ask uh, Speaker Voss, too, what's maybe something he wants to hear. Um, and uh, Senator Lemahieu, they both said uh, workforce issues. Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll hear that on Tuesday. Remains to be seen. All right, let's get to stock picks this mm-hmm. week. We have another topic on the state Supreme Court race. And we're going to specifically talk about Janet Protes. Prote- Oh, my gosh. I've been saying it right this whole time. <laughs> Protosewitz. Um, because she's going to be the first one that will make an ad buy. So released the news this morning, $700,000 last week of the, of the primary uh, broadcast and, and cable TV, a digital component coming as well. Now, we don't have the message yet, um, but we expect people I talk to that 
she's going to introduce herself to people because, again, Doro has the trial, Dell Brooks, Kelly was on the Supreme Court. She's not a very well-known figure. This is a chance for her to introduce herself. More importantly, this is a result of being a great fundraiser. You have the resources to spend three weeks on TV. Everett Mitchell can't do that right now. Neither can Doro Kelly unless they really turn it on the next few weeks. She can do this without help from outsiders. Now, the question is, what's her message going to be? And, um, you know, what you want to talk about in these ads? Is it going to be like, how, how she introduce herself to people? I've been talking to folks, say, look, <laughs> as, fun, as funny as it sounds, it would help to have her tell people how to pronounce her name. Right. If you make something <laughs> kind of cutesy about that, it can burn it and make it memorable. This is her chance to introduce herself. And it can give you momentum coming out of this into the uh, April election, if she gets through. I don't assume because you're on the TV you're going to win or place first or second this thing, but it's usually a correlation. Also worth noting, I've been used to for years, Supreme Court races, like 10 days of TV, maybe two weeks, often from an outside group. This is three solid weeks from a candidate. That's pretty unusual and a nod to her fundraising prowess. Now, it's also important to note the race is nonpartisan, mm-hmm. so these commercials are going to be a little bit different than what we've been used to, I guess, in the past year leading up to the midterm election. So you're not you know, really going to see her talking about, this is how I'm going to weigh in on yeah. abortion. Maybe there will be themes of that, um, but it's typically like, here's who I am. Maybe here's how you pronounce my name and make it more of a, a classic commercial of get to know you. And, of course, her record serving as a Milwaukee County Circuit Court judge. Uh, mixed this week is Dan Canodal, who is uh, currently competing for the 8th Senate District. So he starts the year with the biggest war chest of the contenders for that district or that seat. But Democrat Jody uh, Habish-Sinkin had raised the most in December after Darling stepped down. And she's got Emily's List now backing her in this race. So remember, we have a primary first, three Republicans. You have Canodal, Janelle Branchen, and Van Mobley, who is the Thiensville Village president. Mobley got in basically after, right at the start of this year. They didn't file a report. Looking at Branchen's report, she's not raising a whole lot of money, about $11,000 from December 1st to December 31st. Of that, uh, 3000 came from the campaigns of Andre Jacques and Chuck Wickers, two of the more kind of right wing of the caucus in the Senate the Assembly really not pulling money in, but knowing Branson's reputation is this kind of firebrand for the Trump cause, right? That may not matter, because if you have enough MAGA uh, voters in the primary, it could get her through even without the resources. That worries a lot of establishment Republicans, because they think Canodal is a stronger of the three to get through, because he's been around, people know him, and he's got a little money going on. Plus, they think that Branson is a little bit too far to the right. This is not a, Republic, a, a swing seat. This is a Republican seat. Ron Johnson won 54% here. Tim Michaels, who was flawed in a lot of ways, got 51.5%. This is not a swing seat normally. But is this a normal election? We have the abortion issue again. It's suburban Milwaukee. Uh, turnout may be not normal, a little bit lower. Is there an opportunity for Democrats? That's the challenge for Republicans in the opening for Jody. Uh, again, she raised $40,000, which is more than the other two. It looks like she's going to have more that came from. Um, she's got some options because, A, she's all by herself in the primary. She's got some connections uh, the fundraising world. She's been around for a little while. She's got some personal money. And Emily's List helps uh, female cancer support abortion rights. Abortion is going to be the ballot come April. That's a boost to her. Now, we don't know is what they're going to spend or how they're going to spend it. But people argue that that's a good thing for her to have them in her corner. 
Now, the Supreme Court race is probably going to overshadow this somewhat, but it's worth keeping an eye on the next round of reports. Does anybody take off besides um, Habish Sinkin? Because she seems to have like that foundation to get going. And for Republicans, the supermajority is on the line. Mm-hmm. They gained the supermajority after the midterm elections, and then they lost it after Alberta sat down. So, so Republicans are still trying to hold on to that. So does any Republican group come in and help Canodal or Branchen at the primary trying to push one through? Or, or Van Mobley, who also, by the way, was one of the first people in Wisconsin, the public figures, to endorse Trump. Uh, had the 16 presidential race, so that's something to watch as well. All right, and following this week is labor unions. Mm-hmm. So we have seen a decline in the percent of Wisconsinites who are members of the unions. It has basically cratered last few years. In 2022, it's down to 7.1%. In 2010, it's 14.2%. Well, what happened in the interim? Well, Act 10 was the first thing that happened, 2011. And if you look at the... now. The roles had been like dropping gradually, which reflects a national trend. But we had been above the national average pretty consistently until the last few years. Act 10 comes along, boom, there's a drop right away. There's a little bit of an uptick, like a, a, a re, uh, reaction to Act 10, like a little bit of a passion for the union movement. Then 15 happens, right to work. Bam, it really craters. Now we're talking this downward trend. We're below the national average. We're half of where we were uh, 12 years ago. So it's just a little bit of a, a gut punch labor movement. Now, there's also a political element to this. We are still seeing union money coming to campaigns in Wisconsin. But what happens is, more often than not, it's national union money flowing the locals into the campaigns or into the groups that are spending. It's like it was before where I first got here in WEAC. It was like WEAC on one side and WNC on the other. They're the 800-pound gorillas in politics. WEAC is nowhere near what it used to be in terms of money for politics because of things like this. All right. Well, that will do it for this busy week in politics. I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. We'll see you next week. This program was brought to you from Wisconsin Eyes Margaret Farrow Studio. Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association. Bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association. The voice of real estate.